The Home Show with Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk. Good morning. Welcome to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, as more couples explore the options of home birthing, we meet a gentle birth instructor who tells us how to prepare your home for that special delivery. The Home Show Roadshow continues as we go behind the scenes of one of Ireland's most beautiful buildings. Dust gatherers or lifesavers, bedside lockers, yay or nay. And from window seats to curtains and blinds, architect Roisin Murphy has our ultimate guide to dressing your window, whatever its size. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can text us here on The Home Show at 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You'll find me over on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all our podcasts on the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, we had, as I said there, our first Home Show Roadshow last week. And if you didn't hear Roisin Murphy and I taking a trip to Max Salvage Yard, it is worth a listen back to what we discovered. On today's show, I'll be visiting a very special institution in Dublin. Hadn't been there for years and never noticed the fabulous architecture before because I was concentrating on everything that was in it. So that's worth waiting for. But it got me thinking about how we can actually be really bad tourists in our own country. And now that travel is back, we'll have foreign visitors to our shores again and they'll be heading to our galleries, our museums, our historic buildings and we'll be doing exactly the same thing when we travel abroad. But do we do it often enough while we're actually living here? And the brilliant news is, of course, that most of it is completely free. So I'm wondering, did lockdown and staycations make us appreciate what we have here more? Or have you never graced the inside of a national monument since you went to school? Well, I'd love to hear what the number one visitor attraction is in the place you live. If it's a museum, somewhere dusty and old or a historic tour or somewhere fabulous and modern. Let me know because uh, it'd be good to get some inspo on that. 53106 or Email us, of course, at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. But for now, sit back and welcome along to The Home Show. Now, if the last two years has taught us anything, it's that our homes are so much more than a place where we live. It's become our place of work, schools for our children. Uh, But it's also becoming a more popular space where women are deciding to give birth to their children. So we thought we'd look at how you prepare for a home birth. Ashling Dalek is the owner of Salu. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And is a gentle birth instructor and postpartum doula. And she's just given birth eight weeks ago. Good morning and congratulations, Ashling. Hi, good morning, Sinead. Thanks very much. <laughs> now, tell me what is a gentle birth instructor? So basically, a lot of people may have heard of the term hypnobirthing instructor, but basically gentle birth kind of marries together the hypnobirthing practice, but we also do a good lot of childbirth education with our clients. So just helping people get a little bit more educated around birth, um, around natural physiology of birth, and also kind of helping them prep and prepare not only themselves physically and environmentally but also mentally for birth and kind of getting that mental strategy on your side for having a positive birth. Now when it comes to home births of course this is the home show so I'd like to ask you a little bit how you prepare your home for uh, birthing. 
Yeah, so some listeners might find um, it a quite a unorthodox thing to talk about in a home segment, but really I couldn't stress more, um, you know, because of my professional background, how important environment is for birth. So by choosing a home birth, you get a lot of choice and control over your environment, um, which is really key to kind of optimal birthing. <laughs> mm. um, so what we prepare, it's very individual from person to person. Me personally, I had really wanted to include water in my birth, uh, not only for pain relief, but also, um, you know, it's great for boosting all those uh, um, hormones that mm. facilitate birth really well. So I I picked up a birth pool. Um, I I got my birth pool from a pool in a box. Um, there's a couple of different companies that do them. Along with the pool, obviously, <laughs> you have your hoses and your tap connectors. Right. We personally MacGyvered ours to the shower to <laughs> to fill it nice and hot um, because so, they're rather okay. big vessels. <laughs> so tell me then, so you got a pool in the box and you had yeah. to jimmy whatever hoses and things you had at home. Me, I'm thinking of the things that could go wrong with that. The first of which, of course, you could end up with a yes. flood as well as a baby. Um, how did you decide what room to put that in, Ashling? So personally, I went for my bedroom. That's where I had in mind, uh, not only because of nice views of the garden, um, I have an ensuite, so the meterage of hosing wouldn't be too colossal in, in order to get water to the pool where mm. I wanted it beside my window. Um, also, you have, you you know, the thing about birth is there's a lot we can't control. Um, having never water birthed before, I didn't know that if I got in, maybe I wouldn't even like it. So it's important to kind of set yourself up at home with lots of different options. So I had my bed double dressed, as we call it, um, you know, kind of with protective sheets and then dressed again on top of that um, and shower curtains <laughs> to protect the mattress. Nice. Um, and then I had the pool. I had my birthing ball. I I kept on top of my ensuite shower to make sure it was nice and clean in around my due date uh, in case I felt like being in the shower for comfort measures. Oh, I see. And okay, interesting. Um, so it's kind of about having lots on the table because really in the moment you're not quite sure. You know, it's just about flexibility, going with really. the flow. And yeah. Yeah, literally in your case. Yeah, right. Okay. Yes. Now, yeah. in terms of filling up the birthing pool, then, I mean, how big is it? It has to fit you. It ultimately has to fit the baby. Um, how many gallons of water are we talking about, Ashling? Oh God, yeah, they're rather big. You can get them. I had the mini, which I think. Um, now, don't quote me on this, but I think they're about possibly five to maybe maybe even a thousand liters. You know, there's a lot. They're you know they're decent what? size. Right. Um. Be, allow you to submerge into the water obviously um, but it takes about approximately two hours to to fill a birthing pool and that's even just the mini so you really have to take that into consideration indeed and, and of course you may not have that level of time uh, you know like lots of labours of course go on a lot longer than that but I suppose exactly, keeping exactly. it warm and having it prepared and all that is is going to and how do you how do you kind of rid it of the water afterwards can I ask so then afterwards, what you have is a pool liner um, and your midwives very kindly, um, they generally, you can ask them, do they have a pump or do you need to acquire a pump, a water pump yourself? And it's just a small little contraption, um, similar looking to the air pump it takes to blow up the pool. Okay. Um, and it pumps the water out. So the midwives stick the 
the hose out the, the window into a shore or, you know, something as well to keep in mind and or out into the grass or garden and just switch on the little contraption and it pumps the water out Gosh, very easily. OK, and well, that, was done, that's I was a double my baby and I didn't even realize it was happening. <laughs> <laughs> double jobbing midwife there, plumber and everything. Yeah, to boot. All right. Now, so when it comes to then prep, the other preparations that you make, because you're at home, you said you've got a level of control. You can pretty much do what you like. So what did you do? Did you have a playlist? Did you read a book? Uh, you know, what, what kind of arrangements did you want to make yeah. for yourself? So. Number one, I had my birth partner. Um, so the people I love around me and who make me feel safe. Then I had my water. Um, I did aromatherapy. So I had lavender oil burning um, to, you know, create that atmosphere of relaxation. Then my music playlist is probably my biggest birthing tool along with my partner. Right. <laughs> uh, so I basically, coming up to my birth, kind of once I hit third trimester, I start. I start kind of making my lovely little birth playlist on Spotify, which is nice kind of positive birth preparation anyway, because it just really feels quite special. And then I just start listening to it kind of coming up to birth. And then I I listen to it all throughout birthing, something that's really nice because you can really, you know, just make the space your own and have it blaring or quietly in the background or, you know, whatever you choose. And so I know that you also... Music is a big one. And I know that you also um, you wrote out little affirmations for yourself. Were they to kind of give you strength during the labouring process? And and what did you do? What did you do there? Yeah, definitely. Affirmations and visualization is a huge thing that I use, and you know I would promote a lot in my um, in my work. Um, it's basically kind of about positively priming your your brain for birth and during birth so kind of coming up to birth I would have stuck them up on my wall uh things like you know um open loose relaxed or you know I am calm you know these kind of mantras for Mm. all the world um and I would have said them a lot kind of throughout pregnancy and then you know they resonate so heavily with you while you're in the moment then Mm. as well just to give you that extra strength what you're scientifically doing is kind of creating those positive neural pathways in your brain and helping you you kind of not freak out. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is all about that calming and control and uh, kind of getting you into that space. So I can I can sense that you did a huge amount of preparation around that, Ashling. Where can people go now if they want to find out more about you and home birthing? So um, I mainly work, operate actually through my Instagram. It's probably um you know an easy platform for people to find me so it's ash salu s-a-o-l-u uh underscore birth underscore and underscore postpartum and you'll find me there and you'll get to get a sense of what I do um and I do online classes and hopefully in-person classes at the moment I'm on maternity (laughs) but I'll be working my way back slowly and I'm always at the other end of the phone breastfeeding under a baby um, to answer any questions if anyone has any to ask. All right. Well, I let you get back to doing that very important job. <laughs> Ashley Dolly, thank no you problem. so much for joining us on The Home Show today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Sinead. The Home Show with Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk. 
you're very welcome back to the home show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. If you're joining us now, uh, you'll miss my interview earlier with a home birthing instructor to tell us how to prepare our house for that special delivery. It's the second week of our home show, Roadshow, and I have a treat for you now. We were very lucky to get a guided tour behind the scenes of one of the country's most beautiful buildings. Based in Dublin city centre and built in 1890, it is famed for its stunning rotunda and somewhere that we probably all went on a school tour at one stage or another. Uh, But if you're still not sure where I visited, well then take a listen to this. Hi, I'm Aoife Hurley and I'm the Head of Operations with the National Museum of Ireland. Now Aoife, it's absolutely wonderful to be in this building again. And I say again because I haven't been here in such a long time between Covid and closures for a while. Here we are and the first thing that strikes me about this particular building is this incredible entrance lobby. Tell me a little bit about it. We call this the Rotunda. The building is designed by Thomas Dean and Sons. The space is beautiful because there's such a variety of architectural styles nearly in the space and a variety of material. So you can see the floor is this amazing mosaic floor. So when the building was first built and opened in 1890, this space actually held uh, copies of classical Greek statues. And they, they signified symbol from astrology and astronomy so that's why the, the zodiac is represented in the mosaics here on the oh, floor. Oh I see and the actually sign, the 12 signs of the zodiacs. So round this centre uh, mosaic circle we do indeed have all of the signs of the zodiac. I'm looking for my own which is Aquarius. Yeah, there Libra. she is so, yeah. <laughs> and there you're Libra. All yeah. right. What kind of work would be involved in, in creating this? You'll see these mosaic floors throughout the museum and you'll also see them in the National Library. They were designed by a company called Oppenheimer. So a man called Ludwig Oppenheimer, he was a German. He learnt his trade in Venice, but then he actually traded out of Manchester in England. And how this worked, there was almost kind of like a catalogue of designs. The architects, uh, Thomas Manny Dean and Thomas Newman Dean, would have gone to him and it's kind of like a a bespoke design for the building. And their little tesserae is the name of the little individual pieces of the mosaic and they're laid in kind of panels so they would have come in 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 big panels and fitted together onto the floor and then there'd be joint you'd see different joints around the place the joints are taken up by the 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 bands of color and they'd be kind of movement joints between two areas i have to say i can hardly see them i mean it is perfectly done and even on the white tiles which forms the base there's a pattern within the pattern of semicircular tiles and and then across the pathways yes it's beautiful there's floral motifs and then there's you know greek motifs um it's really beautiful and it's laid on this kind of like a cement screed and the interesting that you'll see in areas where there's little bits have come out over time and what's interesting is that the environment in the building has changed over the years the building's 131 years old so it's 1890 was when it was opened and it's it's become warmer and there's different fluctuations in temperature so we're seeing areas now where the, some of the tiles are popping up and there's I ongoing see. kind of repairs that are needed to well, keep now that the floor happened after, that happened in my kitchen after just 20 years so yes, there you so go yeah, I think that well. it's certainly it is doing extremely well now but talk it, to me a little bit about the columns that we're looking at around yeah. here these are to my untrained eye you know polished marble yeah marble columns with the ionic capital so the capital is carved out of stone the base of the column is also is a bath stone but the marble is different there's different marbles from different counties in Ireland but there's also some Italian marbles as well and then above that the the, the kind of frieze the redder kind of flat stone that you see going around that's Mm -hmm. a red sandstone 
and it's beautiful the way it works the detail works up and then it kind of simplifies you know at the band above the above the balcony there and then you've got the these these columns down here are, are sitting out kind of in, almost in a colonnade and then you'll see at the top there there's pilasters that are set into the oh, into see. the wall so there's a mirroring and the, of, and the mirroring of and the echoes. scale is kind of bringing you up towards the, the oculus at the center now this upper section which forms this vast rotunda looks to me like it's from a very very different period because it is this um i don't know eggshell blue maybe it's it's almost victorian or edwardian in its color and the gilt edging and and all of the white uh, and pale blue plaster you're used to seeing that maybe in victorian dramas or the crown or, or yeah. things like that so and if you so go into tell the me about that it's quite similar to that as well you know if you go into the four courts mm. in dublin you have something similar but the stuff like and what you're getting at there is that this, there's very different styles in this building you know if you look at the outside of the building it's kind of it, it, it's it's not as elaborate maybe as what you see inside and that was to do with the building trying to read uh, correctly with say Leinster House that it wasn't competing with the with because Leinster House I was built see. before the the library and uh, the museum here but then when you come in he used diff- uh, the Dean Brothers used different kind of Renaissance style they they're they're a company that are originally Dean and Woodward mm. and some of their Dean and Woodward designed the museum building in Trinity College and that's kind of a Venetian style so they were looking back all the time they certainly were styles and then incorporating them into the into this building and it's thousands of years of styles mishmash together exactly. and, yeah. and it works it, do, it does work and what's amazing as well is that it works with the collection now, Aoife, we've come into the main salon on the ground floor, and this is a very different space. Yeah. Uh, so this has a, a large rectangular room. Again, you can see the columns in different places, but these are far more ornate. These are terribly Victorian looking. And there's a metal mezzanine up at the top, a beautifully ornate railing and uh, and this fantastic ceiling. So talk to me about this particular room. Yeah, so this we call this room the centre court. And um, again, again, the architectural style in here is quite different. Like you're saying, there's the, there's the beautiful decorative ironwork, which was made by Young and Sons um, from, the, from the UK. And that would have been brought over for this project. It's very decorative. It would have been in the style of, if you think around eight, this was 1890, so in 1851 you would have had the Great Exhibition. So this was very much, you know, the, the Crystal Palace kind of style this was of the, Al- Prince Albert's yes. homage to the Great Exhibition and the beautiful palace that was built in, in London at the direction of Queen Victoria. And, and everything really flowed from that, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. New and, innovation. And coming out of the Industrial Revolution mm. as well, you know, was looking at different types of materials because. Again, we're talking about innovation. It's very interesting, just the use of materials, you know, and the floor, you can't see it here, but the, the substrate, the floor here is a, is a patent, it's a concrete and steel patent type of floor, which was a fireproof floor, floor that had just been patented around the time that the building mm-hmm. was built. So the architects were kind of inv- innovated at the time, trying to use different materials, but you'll see that the ceiling here it used to be open. So this would have been glazed with the light coming in, but then, that is not good for for um, historical collections and for the artifacts. So but that's what why a it's shame. been covered over. It would have yeah. been magnificent to it have would have the been quite sun a different space. streaming into yeah. this space uh, and the yeah. natural light. But I suppose but we it do doesn't need work. To protect yeah, we do. And it doesn't work. Re- it's it's it, that's kind of an architectural response, but it doesn't really work with museum yes, collections. Yes. When it comes to the tiles, I can see it. There are places where it's pockmarked. There are tiles missing. Um, you're not going to call tile style. What are you going to do? Yeah. So in a building like this, this building is a protected structure. It's one of the most beautiful 
historic buildings in Dublin. It's such a, a range of materials. So you have to use skilled craftsmen to work on a building like this and to, to maintain a building like this. But the building, the building is owned by the Office of Public Works and they actually have an in-house maintenance team called Building Maintenance Services and they do a lot of the, of the work they, you know, they would have painters, plasterers, joiners, so they would do a lot of the day-to-day -day and the kind of regular maintenance work in terms of unblocking gutters and that kind of stuff. And then the very specialist items like the floors, there's not that many companies that can do that, so you really have to seek the specialist conservation firms that can work on the mosaic floors, on the ironwork. We'll see the doors later, the Carlo Cambi, the beautiful oak and walnut doors. Again, you need to get a, a, someone who's a specialist. Aoife, we're heading towards the Treasury, but before we go in, I am looking at the most extraordinary door frame. Now, it, it might be to everybody's taste, I love it. Uh, talk to me about it, it looks like a highly polished um, porcelain. Yeah, these, these are, door surrounds are amazing. They're, 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 in the, they're called faience or majolica, which is like yeah. highly glazed ceramic. The surrounds themselves were actually designed by one of the deans, I think Thomas Manley, dean, one of the architects, designed them. And they were sent, the designs were then sent to Wilcock and Company, which are a Leeds uh, company that then made the surrounds. Mm. And then it's amazing because that you, you see the, the beautiful timber door that's sitting within the, the door surround. Highly ornate, very Again, well carved. And in almost in a different style, it's kind of it the is. more is more the clashing, you know, but it really works. And then you have... <laughs> and above it then we have these yeah. little cherubs holding the three Dublin castles. Exactly, Isn't yeah. that so it? The, the, the Irish man designed them. So, and, and it's an interesting story about the about how the, the building came about. There was an architectural competition for the building in 1881 that was actually run by the Board of Works, which is now the Office of Public Works, and no Irish companies were shortlisted. So a lot of the nationalist parties in Ireland were very unhappy, so they had to rerun the competition. And that's how an Irish company came through then was shortlisted, and that's how Imagine Dean and that. Sons and Cork didn't they through. do just very, very when well indeed. When the doors were being um, commissioned, again, there was uproar about that because they were made by an Italian um, company, Carlo Cambi. The joinery associations or whatever they were called at the time back then were very unhappy that an Italian firm were doing this but how they convinced them was they said but these will almost be like part of the exhibits these doors there's no doors mm. like this these will be part of the exhibits and it fits in with the, with the idea of the museum and that kind of sold the but idea. Do you know if I have a sense that even nowadays in buildings we would be having the same rows yes. about picking companies for it let's Absolutely. have a look at these doors now because they are they're very heavy are they oak? They're oak some are oak and some are walnut I think this one is oak I see, um, and, and they all have different designs on them. They and some do. Of them, they, they might reflect the use of the room. We have birds, and yeah. we have flora, and we have pieces of armor, and we have lions, and all sorts of things here. So, yeah. pretty much covers covers everything. They really are very, very beautiful. They're beautiful, and you see doors like that in the part of the National Gallery as well. <laughs> We're about to head upstairs uh, to the first floor, but before we do, can I just ask you about this little staircase lobby that we're in? I, I think they must have been years carving out the panels here. Again, we see cherubs with the three Dublin castles. We see great big stonework arches uh, and lots and lots of decorative features. Yes, the carving of the stone was done by a, a man called Charles Harrison. And, and apparently who Dean used a lot in his projects. And this again is a, is a sandstone because sandstone is quite a, a, a porous, it's an easy to carve material. What's funny about the, what you see here is that looks like 
a stone surround around the door there, but that's mm -hmm. where someone has actually painted over the Majolica door surround <gasps> to look like stone. Outrageous. Yes, so there's a plan <laughs> to get to bring that back, but these are the kind of Do you know have you seen underneath it? Do you know what it looks you like? Can, you can see just there the little gap. Ah, you can see the look, little piece there's there. a little bit yeah. just out now. But it's so the that interesting could be a surprise. It's the, it's the different approach of different people over time. So it's, yeah. the, it's all the interesting layers and the It looks exactly the same. You couldn't I yeah. couldn't have told that it was it was painted. And then you've got the beautiful plaster work then in the and, uh, and the ceiling moulds. My favourite thing about the stairs is this Connemara marble handrail. It is beautiful. Because you have a mixture of all the, uh, lots of different types of stones that we were talking about before, but this one would be my favourite. It Connemara. is absolutely beautiful. And of course, Connemara marble, we featured it on the home show before, that gorgeous moss green striations in it. Absolutely beautiful colour uh, and has clearly stood the test of time. It's, it's as new. And the stairs itself is bath stone. Okay, well let's head up the stairs now and uh, and we'll see what's up here. Now there is a kind of a, a more friendly handrail in brass if anybody if anybody would prefer that. But actually, I adore this staircase. It's so un imagine the weight it must have been to install. Oh yes, unbelievable. And the and and the, and the craftsmen that would have done it and the, they would have brought the blocks from the quarry to the site and then carved them here and then installed them. Now we're heading into a gallery space because we're yes. going to overlook where we've just come from, exactly. which is the ground floor. There's staircases on both sides, so it's like um, a gallery with a mezzanine floor as well. Yes, exactly. And again, here we have the beautiful iron railings. And, and actually, do you know what I love about these iron railings? I mean, they're desperately ornate. These look like uh, mermen and mermaids all the way around. Uh, but it doesn't distract from the view down below. It doesn't block it. No, it doesn't because of the design that there's lots of openings and, op and, and different sections in it that you can see through. And it goes all the way around, of course, and it is supported again by these columns that reach right up into the roof. Yeah. Uh, and then across, in, in it's mirrored in this metalwork yeah, that you can see arches across the they're roof. They're the iron trusses. This isn't across. unlike what you would find, I, I think, in a Victorian train station. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Or a very, very ornate version of the glass houses that were being designed. Mm, yeah, um, which brings us back to, to, the, uh, to yes. uh, the Crystal Palace exactly. and all of that for yeah. the exhibition that was and uh, then from in the here, 1850s. When you look down, you can get the whole view of the beautiful mosaic floor. You do. And actually, this is a lovely vantage point. Uh, to see the floor in all its glory because it is highly polished when you're when you're down there you can see the tiny little tiles up from here you can't just the beautiful art yeah. so uh, Eva how does this rate against the other buildings you've worked in oh that's a good question how does it rate I've worked in some I worked in really interesting buildings in in, in when I was in OPW I worked in Ars Nuthron I worked in the Four Courts um, Ivy House Emore Court and Leash and I don't know if I have a favourite, but I, I, I am a fan of the high Victorian decorative. I love, my, I always get made fun of my friends, I love patterns, I love the richness of it. So it would rate very highly. And we're hoping that um, coming down the line through the National Development Plan, there will be funding coming our way in order to make the building more accessible and to do some kind of more or, or kind of fabric repair works to the building. And of course, even though it is free entry into this museum and indeed all museums, uh, there's nothing stopping anybody leaving a donation downstairs in the box. Absolutely. Yeah. And of course, then if people don't visit or they're, they're not visiting yet or can't get here, uh, you have your shop is online. Our shop is online. And that was one of the projects that we took on while we were closed. We have a great retail team. While unfortunately they couldn't work in the, and the shops were closed, we set up an online shop. So, so what kind of things can people buy here? There's some beautiful Irish craft. The shop is very nicely curated. So there's a lot of there's jewellery and there's a lot of uh, very good books, Irish craft. So it's lovely.
And where would people find that now? Our website is www.museum.ie and you can link through to the shop from that website. Aoife Hurley, Head of Operations at the National Museum of Ireland here in Cardiff Street. It has been a fascinating trip and an unusual way to look at one of Ireland's beautiful buildings. Thank you so much for showing me around today. You're more today. than welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. A huge thank you there to Aoife Hurley and all the staff at the National Museum of Ireland here in Dublin for bringing us on an amazing tour of one of Ireland's most beautiful buildings. Now, they currently have several amazing exhibitions on, including one on Glenda Locke and one on the Vikings, and you can't afford to miss it. Go along, support the museum, and remember, it is free. It's a fabulous day out. Now, you're very welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Earlier in the show, we had a home birthing expert uh, who was telling me all about how to prepare your home, your bedroom, your living room uh, for a special delivery if you are having your baby at home. Uh, and of course, we went on our Home Show Roadshow to the National Museum of Ireland behind the scenes. What a fabulous building. I'm going to pop up some pictures, actually, that we took on the day on my Twitter feed after the show. That's Sinead underscore Ryan. I think I might even put them up on Instagram as well if I can work out how to do that uh, Sinead Ryan 100 now so to listen back uh, to, to any of that of course you can do so on the Newstalk app which is powered by Go Loud now we are delighted to have back our own relic antique <laughs> as I said earlier <laughs> the cheeky our how special antique how very dare you just, just because of Max Salvage last week <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not over it folks now first up today what is the most important thing to have beside you in the bed and I'm not talking about your partner. Roisin, what is it? The bedside locker. Yes, I've done a bit of research on them. Okay, I'll t- the reason I don't like them is I think perhaps they were always, you know, you go to a hotel and you find a, a Bible in one. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like there's the kind of, it's what's goes there, the, the, the 10 stages of life, I think, bedside lockers. Um, as a kid, you never use them. Um, and then you're either in hospital or you're grown up and you either like, I'm not even, the, the stages of a locker contain. Right. Old person stuff, is it? No, okay. not really. Mister- off okay. of condoms then it ends up as, uh, as like a, a, your face cream then a breast pump and then eventually your teeth <laughs> do you know what I mean I just think it is the, 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 there's a whole art piece on installations of what goes into right. a locker okay? okay and I've done a round robin on this and everybody you're going to go, you can tell how old somebody is by what they have so look around yourselves lads but what's the alternative Roisin you have to have <laughs> no, I'm a huge old. fan don't grow of the bedside old. don't locker. grow old the more drawers the better what do you have in yours go on tell so me go on no off that, <laughs> that quick pick what's well, in yours well I have these built in bedside like, so they, yes. they don't come out so they're there right yeah. and there were shelves above them yeah. took all of those out with some reluctance it has to be said There's mm. no, you can't have enough storage and shelving <laughs> beside the bed as far as I'm concerned I always have a stack of, of the books. book I'm actually yeah. reading the, books the you other read. book I'm actually reading yeah. and then the this, this aspirational stack that yes. I eventually get yes. to, okay? And that that's always there. Of course you need a reading light. Yes, the uh, light is the big yes, thing. Yes, yeah. you know you do. And my phone, which mm-hmm. I'm not good enough to put away. Yeah. Um, phone is a big culprit of the bedside locker. Yeah, and the plug yeah. and the lamp. And bits and bobs yeah. and kind of accoutrements. Well, the accoutrement, the first thing is you shouldn't have your phone beside your bed. So that's a really fundamental thing. You shouldn't have your phone in your bedroom. And the way, the solution to this, I asked a Spanish teacher about this during the year. The solution is not to worry about that. The solution is to have as one of those clap 
speakers. So you get, that will set your alarm, but you won't go on to social Seriously, lads, it's really important because, okay, look and learn. Your kids will copy you and you'll be like, get off the phone. And they're like, get off the phone yourself, mum. And we've heard all week about the amount of hours kids are on. But, okay, so you have to have a bedside locker. Here's what I think you do. No, for some people, okay. I think, for me... I have a te- one of the reasons I really don't like it, apart from the stages of ageing, is that I tend to put everything into it. I actually have two round drum ones that I have from the 90s that are completely impractical because they slide open like paint cans. And into them goes 90s aprons, um, defuzzers, all sorts of things that have never seen the light of day. So I tend to stack. What and- are you doing in your bedroom? Nothing, you very little. Aprons and defuzzers. I, I, put, I kind of think, okay, I tend to put clothes that don't necessarily go into the wardrobe in there. I, I and I don't have a wardrobe in my bedroom because t- I have a chest of drawers but I tend to want to keep my clothes out there and right. separate so I have them all I have long hanging down and I, I'm, I have it all dispersed around the house so I have very little furniture in my bedroom because of this this whole idea that you just sleep that it's the place you just go to sleep hence the no phones but I do like a bit I like a bedside table as opposed to a locker. Okay. So I won't tend to stash furniture on like a low table. That so you, it's not encouraging sh- stuff to get put yes, into Yes, because if I put in something right. into a cupboard, it tends not to come out. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm really, okay. really bad like that. I, you know, So I think I also would like, what I have to say is I like a little bit of a retro look so it doesn't look too like a hospital. I don't like mm. the classic locker because it just makes me sad because it reminds me of hospitals. Okay. So I would say like a metal set of drawers from Brabianta. There's lovely kind of rattan ones that you can get at the moment which are very like holiday ones but but my favourite kind of trend at the moment is a drawer on legs so it's like now that's an idea and I've seen some nice mirrored ones of those they're kind of art deco kind of style with with their metal but they have a reflector on them and when the lamp is on top then it shines yeah and then you can put a little um, you know a little drink or a candle on that and that's absolutely fine but the actual classic lockers I shudders go up and down through my body when I see them. 53106 folks uh, to let me know your locker contents if you dare <laughs> I'm pretty sure it can't be Roshan but maybe we'll be able to guess your age by what you I'm telling you it locker. is the stages of life I mean the locker is a bit like a kind of love-hate thing but you know there is something I mean they are very necessary for phones etc at yeah. the moment but you know Yeah and you do need bits and bobs Okay so Roshan's rules then around lockers consider a table with a drawer a table with a drawer okay. or a table on its own if you're a real clutter problem if yeah. you have a problem like me where you have 20 books you know I have loads of books I haven't read beside my table okay height uh, to the bed height okay. I think that you should be able to reach right across to it but be very careful if you have a dog I often think it depends on if your dog's in the bedroom but the tail height you know the wagging Labrador <laughs> tail so you know right okay <laughs> she's a dog in her bedroom as well right okay and uh, in terms of then lighting for it I think the thing about a bedside table is it is really handy for the bedside light mm. so that is crucial so for me it is it is a lamp on a bed there's lovely Helen James ones at the moment in Duns and they also she also does a beautiful marble and brass legged table mm. you can also go retro so you can go retro style and you can find them in the vintage hub or Kilkenny Salvage or you know Max Salvage where we were before where you find something like an old filing cabinet or even an old metal locker is lovely something to just give it a little bit of kind of not to make it look I hate to say as kind of uh, hotel-y to get yeah. to make it more casual and to put your light on. Okay.
Okay, bedside lockers five three one six. Let me know what is in yours. Uh, now, while we are on the topic of um, what we should have and what we shouldn't do, one of the places that I always think is overlooked in a house is just that space underneath a window. So, uh, you know, you think of old, gracious manor houses and they always have these window seats which are cushioned and you can curl up and read a book and they're beautiful, you know, leaded uh, box windows to look out of. But even in normal houses, in regular houses, you can often fashion something there. Absolutely. And it's one of my favourite hacks. I love it. I love it in ordinary houses. I've even done one for a dog. Because there's a dog in one of the houses we did where the dog jumps onto, jumps up to uh, the bench and looks out the window. Mm. So you can do it really simply with a bench and put baskets underneath or you can build it in. But uh, bench seating is lovely. Do you always need a bay window to do that? No. You just, it's nice to go end to end. I think um, the longest one we've ever done is a five metre bench one, which is or a six metre bench one with little pink legs. That's coming up in the next year's show. But it's, that's, it was really funny. It is just such, they are like magnets. People love to sit by the light. Mm. It's just one of those things that I think in a bay window, they're, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a bay, it's a lovely place for a desk even to sit up. You doesn't necessarily need to be, but you can fashion a seat and a table around it if you're in a smaller space. Really handy for uh, banquet dining. Okay. Yeah. They're right. brilliant. And the bench seat is, to be fair, the the kind of bench sit-in seat is one of the biggest trends, they say, in all of the um, interiors and sofas at the moment is that bench built-in seat. So when it comes to the window itself yeah. now, and I know you're a big fan of nothing at all, uh, but if you have to have a covering on the window, yeah. net, blind, vertical, curtains, <laughs> Roman... <laughs> What's your top take? Okay, first of all, if you are in the market for window treatments, I would suggest the first thing you're either looking for light, privacy, sound, heat. Okay, so do not approach your window in terms of anything. You know, that's your first port of call. You go, where is this window facing? Am I looking for shade? Do I want brightness or do I want privacy? Okay, so privacy is usually the main issues Mm. that people put I would say curtain treatments on. I don't think anybody volunteers in Ireland to block out the light, okay? <laughs> and if you are in a place where you have minimal light and you want privacy, um, and if it's, you know, maybe it's not all day, just in the evening. So the roller blind is still very popular because it's the minimal interference. You can get with, them in fabulous colours nowadays. And you can get them in silk. You can get them in all okay. sorts. They do have that lifespan of the spring. We all know where the spring yeah. goes. It's very annoying. Now, Venetian blinds and plantation shutters are all still extremely Love popular. Love the plantation shutters. Right. I love despite having a house and housing estate and not in you know a farm in but I think the big thing they are is dust collectors they're very annoying for me but they also but they can be used to bounce light around the place which I never knew if you use them and I always thought they darkened room but if you have them in white they'll actually bounce up now they do add value because they're considered an investment piece and they're one of those things that seem to be getting stronger and stronger and not going out of fashion Mm. Venetian blinds the wooden ones with the tape down mm. the side, very popular, but again, again dusty, dusty. Yeah, okay, yeah, and yeah. but then for me, the big one is um, shutters. If you can to put a little shutter on the side, if you're close, oh. that there's a, a sound. La well, à la française, and if you're at the side of a road or you're very close to a pavement, they will, you know, you get them built in and they cover the window, but they also add soundproofing. But nets or shears are still very popular. They are. Yeah, people they're still like very them. popular. And, you know, the, and you can get lovely voils now and very light. You know, they're not that big, heavy embroidered neck curtain. And they're coming in colour. 
Yeah. This is where the big yeah. trend is. You will find a sheer in a in a taupe or a soft pink. Is you're seeing them in some of the interiors now because they are they allow for permanent screening. Say if you are in a very urban area and you don't want to be overlooked. Mm. The sheer is in. Right. Loads of top tips yeah, as keep, usual. Keep you won't have kept up with all that. So do <laughs> listen back on the podcast and you can add, do so with a notebook and pen and write all that down. Now, Roisin, uh, every week you bring us along an object of design. What have you got? For I have week? something. I love this one. OK. Right. Let's OK. A little, a little bag. A little bag. Like little bags with lots of wrapping. Let's yeah. See what it is now. So this is one of my favourite things because I often think about Ireland and things that you'd like to that are kind of simple. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it open there. Oh, right. (laughs) She's smiling great. She's given me a ball of wool and in the box, a pink ball of wool Uh, and a... did you knit this? No, okay. I have to say Linda Dunn it's knitted that. a little knitted But scarf. what I wanted to show you is these are things you can get in Ireland. You often think, what would you, what can you bring back? What can you bring? What can you send? That's an Irish ball of wool. Now it's merino because I'm giving it, it to my daughter. It is so <laughs> soft. Yeah. Super wash. Merino wool from Kerry Wooden, Wooden Mills. Mills. Kerry Wooden Mills. Oh, it's gorgeous. Okay. And the colour The colours. That it, it harks back to our conversation last week yeah. when we were talking about the pink and yeah. how it has really come into its own. It's a gorgeous colour. And I just think that there's wool mills popping up producing balls of wool yes. for, for the new trend. The biggest trend, I suppose, this year. We've seen it with... Um, Taylor Swift and everybody, the Aaron jumper, right? Yeah. Okay, but we were able to knit years ago and my young daughter actually has started to crochet. So that's, I think, one of the things to, to actually give a present of a ball of wool. Fantastic. That's That one is made from real Irish wool, the one you're feeling, which yes, is a Studio Donegal um, wool. And which warm. Is, and, but it's coarser. Can you feel the difference I in the can, texture? I can, I can. And who can forget, of course, the, the highlight of the Olympics for me, who's non-sport minded, was Tom Daly knitting and crocheting yeah. in the yeah. stands and he made a gorgeous little crochet pouch for his gold medal. No way. And it was fabulous. The Japanese flag yeah. on one side and the British flag on the other. Well, and it was just the cutest thing ever. Roisin, what a lovely idea. Thank you so much uh, to all the nurses out there. I envy your skill and um, that was a lovely, lovely, lovely Irish object of design and that is all we have time for now Roisin your Instagram oh my Roisin Murphy architect Roisin Murphy architect okay and uh, if you'd like to get involved in the show if you have a question for me topic you'd like to hear Roisin cover maybe do get in touch with us 53106 or email us at the com. we read every single one that comes in so don't forget to check out the Home Show podcast which is up on the News Talk website thanks to the production team today Gareth Mulhall JJ Clark and Steve McLoon, who is on sound. Bobby Kerr's up next. He'll be talking to the women who are building the construction sector one brick at a time. Have a fantastic weekend and we'll see you all next week. The Home Show with Colour Trend. Bring home Irish colour with Colour Trend paint. This is News Talk. <laughs>